Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Great to be here this morning. And I'm full of faith of what God is going to do here. You know, God is still working in the midst of all of the trouble in this world. God is still working in people's hearts and in people's lives. Do you believe that this morning? Do you, come on, do you really believe that, you know, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever? I believe that, you know, God just wants to put faith in our hearts as we read these verses in the book of James today. So let me pray for us right now. God, would you, by your Holy Spirit, just come and move in our hearts. God, convict us where we need conviction. Challenge us where we need to be challenged and fill us with faith that, Jesus, you are still working. You are still moving. You are still building your church and the gates of hell will never be able to overcome it. God, would you move us to action this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're continuing our series called Faith at Work in the book of James. James is the little brother or half-brother of Jesus, probably his biggest claim to fame. But James, in and of his own right, is an excellent leader. He is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He's the pastor of the original church, the, the first church. You know, if you look around uh, the world, we see there is about 3,296 first Baptist churches uh, around the world. They're, they're not actually the Baptist church that we belong to. He's not the first church, but they are the first Baptist church in all of those cities. But this guy, James... He is leading the first church. And he's got a very important leadership role because we've been following his lead. We've been following the decisions that they made, the instructions that they made 2,000 years ago to this day. You see, the church that James is leading is the church that's described in Acts chapter 2, who was uh, devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to prayer, devoted uh, to meeting together. It's the same church that's described in Acts chapter 4, where it says there were no needy persons among them because when, uh, when, when, when people saw need, they sold land and they sold houses and they shared, they distributed it so everybody had enough. It's the same church that's described in Acts chapter 15 that makes a very important decision to make it clear that everyone who comes through these doors is welcome. In Acts chapter 15, verse 19, one of my favorite verses in the book of Acts, it says, We have decided that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles to turn to God, but everyone should be welcome to come through the doors. James is a pastor. He's a pastor of the first church. He's, he's leading the church. He's a good pastor. He wants to lead his church, navigate through you know, a cultural and political and social minefield that they are, are walking through. He, he, he wants to, in the, in the midst of facing incredible trials and temptations from political regimes, and forceful religious groups. He wants to speak life and faith into their heart. There are people all around him living in poverty 
while others are living in the lap of luxury. And he's asking the question, what should the church do about that? They're living in a culture where racism is a way of life in the Roman Empire. And discrimination has been tearing communities apart for decades. There are people in the cities where they planted this church and they're continuing to plant more churches that are inflicting hateful and hurtful words towards one another. And James, as a pastor of the church, is trying to work out how to navigate all of this and how can the church be actually different to the culture that they're a part of. I don't think it's very hard to see that these ancient words written by James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, speak very powerfully into our culture, into the situation that we find ourselves in today. And today, as we continue on this series, we actually come to the central theme of the book of James. James chapter 2, verse 14 to 26. We're going to read in just a moment. So if you're sitting here in the pews, can you open your Bible to James chapter 2, verse 14? If you're online uh, today, open your Bible to uh, James chapter 2 and verse 14. This is the pivotal part of the book of James. It's, a, it's a, the message that the whole of this letter hangs upon. But James is a pastor he actually, his letter is actually written more like a sermon. And James 2, verse 14 to 26, is actually like a series of questions in a life group that he's engaging his church with. He asks question after question. And some of the questions are rhetorical because the answer is so obvious. And some of the questions he goes on to answer for the life group. And so what we're going to do is actually read through James chapter 2, verse 14 to 26, and we're going to ask the same questions that James asks. It's kind of like he's giving his life group a pop quiz. Put your hand up if you like pop quizzes. Put your hand up if you hate tests of any sort. Okay, I'll just hang in there with me today. We're going to do a pop quiz from the book of James but the good news is it's multiple choice. It's always good if it's a multiple choice test. I remember year eight French and I struggled to speak English. I had no hope learning another language so I paid absolutely no attention. I got to the end of term one, I knew two French words. Fromage was cheese and your play was French for yogurt. That was the only two words I knew. And when I got to the test at the end of the term, there was nothing on there about dairy products. And what was even worse, there was no multiple choice questions. And so I couldn't even guess the right answer. Today, if you don't know the answer, you at least might be able to guess. They are all multiple choice questions. This is what James says, verse 14, question one. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? What good is it? These are the potential answers. Pretty good. Not too good, or if James was Australian, he'd say, not bad. There's a comedian that I like, I won't give away his name, but he, he reckons that the whole Australian language is a smart aleck language, because when someone asks a question, we, we actually don't give the answer, we just say what it's not, and you've got to guess the rest. So when someone says, you know, how you going? Not bad. How much that costs? Not much. Where are we going? Not far. 
We do do that in our culture. But you're gonna see in this passage today, James does not do that. James is very, very clear on these answers. These are the options, pretty good, not too good, no good, or really good. Just because it's the first question, I'm gonna give you some help today. All right, he's saying, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? I want you to think about it in other terms. What good is it if you got a steering wheel but no car? What good is it? No good. It's useless. You can pretend to drive, but you're not going to get anywhere. What good is it? If you've got a guitar, but no strings. I can stand up here and pretend to play like Mark Dean and scratch my leg like a chicken. <laughs> but if I've got no strings, it won't make any sound. What, what good is it if you've got a hamburger but no meat. <laughs> Two vegans in the room just said, yeah, pretty good. <laughs> the rest of us are going, no good. It's useless. You can pretend that healthy food tastes good, but you'd just be pretending. It's disgusting. So James says, what good is it? If someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, what do you think the answer might be? Yell it out. See, no. no good. Verse 20, James actually makes this one pretty clear. He says, faith without deeds is useless. It's useless. You see, you can claim to be a guitarist, but if you're not making any sound, you're just a pretender. You can claim to be a race car driver, but if your car is not moving anywhere, you're just a pretender. And James here is saying, you can claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but if you are not following in the ways and the works of Christ, then you'll move nowhere, you'll make no sound, you'll leave a bad taste in people's mouth, and your faith is useless, you're just pretending. To be a Christian. I told you James doesn't muck around. Question two, and I need to just be clear here. This is the hardest question in the pop quiz. Question two, James, the next question he asks is, can such faith save them? These are your options. Yes, maybe, no, I don't know. Now, we're actually going to give an answer in a minute. But I need you to understand this question theologians have wrestled with through the centuries. In fact, Martin Luther, 500 years ago, was so troubled that the answer to this question might be no that he actually suggested that the book of James has no place in the Bible. He actually called it the epistle of straw. 
He said it contradicts the letters of Paul. And Paul, you know, is absolutely insistent when he's writing letters to the churches, you know, a decade or a couple of decades later. Book of James, a very early letter. When he's writing letters a couple of decades later, he says things like in Ephesians 2 verse 8, he says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. Or in Titus, you know, chapter 3, where he says, uh, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Now, if you read those verses from Paul's letters on face value, read out of context of the whole letter, it seems like Paul is saying the answer to that question is, is yes, it can. So I'm going to ask you, what do you think today? I'm not going to put the answer up yet, but I'm going to ask for a show of hands. Can faith without deeds save anyone? Put your hand up if you think A is the right answer. Yes, hands up. Few people, hands up, B, maybe. A couple of people are being honest. Hands up, if C, no. Few more people, hands up, D, I don't know. A few more people being honest. James is very, very clear that the answer is C. No. And I'd say generally in multiple choice, if you don't know the answer, go with C. It got me through high school. In verse 17, James goes on to say, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is, say it with me, dead. dead. He says it again, just in case you didn't hear it the first time, verse 26, faith without deeds is dead. dead. James says, no, this kind of faith can't save you. But we need to unpack the question a little more to fully understand what Paul and James are both saying in their letters. See, Paul and James are actually correcting different errors in the church. They're both errors in the church. And we need to understand the context of what they're addressing to understand the answer that they're giving. And so Paul, there's people coming into the churches saying, it's not good enough just to put your faith in Jesus. You must put your faith in Jesus and add some works of the Old Testament law to be saved. Where James is hearing people say in the church, all you need to do is put your faith in Jesus and then go on hating everybody who's not like you. There's no connection between faith and loving action. Now they're both errors and they're both speaking to those errors in different ways. So the question that Paul is asking is how is salvation received? And the answer is by faith in Christ alone. And so when Jesus hung on the cross and declared it is finished, it really was. The substitutionary atonement of Christ on the cross, the finished work of salvation that we receive by faith. But James is actually asking a different question. He's actually not asking how is faith received. He's saying, how is this saving faith you've received recognized? And he says, by its fruit. 
It's received by faith, but it's recognised by our good works. Now, I'm going to read today from the 39 articles of the Church of England. Now, if you go back in history, the Baptist churches that we're a part of in the Church of England had a couple of differences, but it wasn't over this. Now, I don't read this every night going to sleep, and I don't expect you to either, but it's quite helpful in this situation. Article number 11 is of the justification of man. It says we're accounted righteous before God only for the merit of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ by faith and not from our own works or deservings. But then the very next article, article number 12, of good works, good works which are the fruits of faith are pleasing and acceptable to God in Christ and do spring out, do flow out necessarily of a true and living faith. That's what Jesus was saying in John chapter 15. When you stay connected with me, you will bear fruit. When you are disconnected from me, there will be no fruit that lasts. You see, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, you are saved by faith alone. There's nothing that you can add to it. But if that faith has been received, if it is a true and living faith, at work in your life, then there will be fruit. That's what James is saying. He says if someone claims, and that's a really important word, to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? And he's going, no, they're a pretender. They might claim to have faith, but if there's no fruit of that faith, then they don't have a true and living faith alive within them. They're making a false claim. Because where there is real faith, there is real fruit. Okay, the questions get a little bit easier and less controversial. Question number three. Suppose a brother, this is straight from the book of James. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? These are potential answers. A, they're really good words when you're cold and hungry. Very comforting. Sounds like pretty good intentions. If, again, James was Australian, good enough for me, mate. D, no good. Now, this is a rhetorical question. James actually doesn't directly answer it because it was obvious in this culture. They knew that God had always had compassion on people in need. And he'd always called, from the beginning of time, he'd always called people of faith to meet that need, to do good works to meet that need. So in Old Testament law, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 15, in many other places, he makes it really clear, I command you to be open-handed. Now this is true right throughout scripture. God can bless an open hand. When we're open-handed towards people, God pours out a blessing. Once you close your hand to help people in need, God can't bless a closed heart and a closed hand. But he says, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Very, very clear. When Jesus comes along, who fulfilled all of the Old Testament law perfectly, the only person who ever done it, he says, whatever you did for one of the least of these, and what he's talking about there is those who have no food, 
no clothes, in prison, sick. He says, whatever you did for the least of these to meet that need, it's like you did it just for me. That's how connected I am to the poor and the needy in your community. It's like you did it just for me. And then in the early church, I I read this before, chapter four, as Jesus ascended to heaven and the church continuing the ways of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, it says there's no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to everybody. It was shared with everybody who had need. And then if we do fast forward to our Baptist forefathers, the Baptists did come along, not the first church, not there before the Church of England, but we did come along eventually. One of our forefathers, C.H. Spurgeon, who's the prince of preachers, he was probably you know, the first Baptist guy to actually lead a large church. He actually so believed in what we're doing here. He believed in the power of God's word. But he says this, if you want to give a hungry man a tract, wrap it in a sandwich. You see, this has always been the heart of God throughout the centuries. I have compassion for those who are poor and needy. And I'm asking people of faith, the community of faith, to meet that need. So what good is it? What good is it if you see a brother or sister without clothes and daily food and you say, go in peace, keep well and warm fed, but does nothing about their physical needs? What good is it? Come on, answer it with me. What good is it? It's no good. It's no good. Good intention without generous action is no good for those in need. Good intention without generous action is no good for those in need. God's desire is for every person to have food on their table, clothes on their body, and a loving community to belong to. And it's a sign that God is actually at work in our faith community when we respond actively to those needs. Next thing James does, he actually poses someone else's question. He says, I've heard some of you say, you know, you can have faith and I got deeds. And they're kind of saying, you know, like Paul, you know, said, you know, some of you have got a gift of prophecy and some have got a gift of teaching. And that's all right. We don't have to have all the gifts. But when we come together, you know, we are the the body of Christ together. And some are coming into the church in, in Jerusalem and saying, it's the same thing with faith and deeds. You know, some of us just need to have, you know, a good faith feeling in our hearts and others of us, you know, get out there and and, and do the deeds. That's okay. So James, the question he's actually asking here, question number four is, can someone have faith and no deeds and and another deeds and no faith? These are the, sounds possible? Yes, no, maybe so. What's the answer? Come on, yell it out. What's the answer? C, no, I told you, the answer's always C. When in doubt, go C. He's saying, no. He's saying, show me your faith, verse 18, show me your faith with our deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. 
My deeds actually show you that I've got faith in Jesus. Faith, Jesus is alive inside of me. You see, this is the important bit. Faith and works are completely inseparable for James. They're weaved together. You can't pull them apart, he's saying. He's saying when you've got a living faith in Jesus inside of you, works will flow out, works will spring out. They go together. They're weaved together in theological unity. There's no way of pulling them apart. And then in verse 19, James twists the knife into the heart. He says, you believe that there is one God? That's good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Demons believe there's one God. They got faith in God and they shudder. They believe in God, but they got no peace with God. Demons believe in God, but their belief does not become loving action towards God and his people. Now, no one wants to be compared to a demon, but many people live as practical atheists today. And that's what James is speaking to. I believe in God, but I don't actually do anything with my faith. I don't actually believe that God's love and power has power to transform today. It's a lazy boy kind of faith. And James, here in this passage, is saying there is no place in the church for armchair philanthropists. There's no place just to sit back comfortable in our faith and see the need around us and do nothing about it. He says, I don't want you to have a lazy boy kind of faith, just making yourselves comfortable until you get to heaven. He says, if you've got a true and living faith inside of you, then you'll have an active faith. Now, I reckon most of us, that's our heart. But what I've seen in this circumstances we're walking through in the world today is that some of us have gotten frozen in fear. We're actually looking at the pain and the complexity of what's happening in our world, and it just seems too big, too hard. And we've just gotten frozen. It's scary. And we've gotten frozen in fear. And when we're afraid, what do we do? We retreat to what is comfortable. We just make ourselves comfortable in the midst of all the scary stuff that's going on out there. And I say there's others that are living in the land of good intentions. We turn on the TV and, and our heart is moved. There's compassion in our heart. And, and, and we want, we've got good intentions to do something. But we're just not kind of sure what to do. And so we just sort of sit back and do nothing, but we live in the land of good intentions. And then there are others in the church right now who turn on the TV or looking at what's happening in the world and our response, and we're calling it a faith response, is to get on our keyboard and to complain about the government and to criticise decisions that are being made. Now, I'm not sitting here and saying I agree with every decision that's getting made by our government or other governments right now, but any heathen can do that. 
See, when the world is at its darkest, it's not a time for the church to point out how black the darkness is. It's time for the church to shine a bright light on Jesus. This is our time, church. This is our time to shine. It's time to shine a bright light on the love and the grace and the provision and the truth and the salvation of Jesus Christ. Let's not point out the darkness. Let's shine a bright light on Jesus. James's big brother said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That is what the church is called to do and there has never been a better time to shine a bright light on Jesus by the good deeds in his church. There's no time for a lazy boy kind of faith. Whether you're sitting at home online in your lazy boy or whether you're sitting in these semi-comfortable pews. What happens here should actually propel us to get up and to shine a light on Jesus. There is no place for lounge chair philanthropists in the kingdom of God. James is saying, don't just sit back when you see people in need and say, go in peace. Be well fed, keep warm. Do something about it. Just put my test back up for me, Mel. Where are we up to? I'm not sure. This is the time to shine a light. Don't make it complicated. Don't live in the land of good intentions because it, it, it seems too hard. Just do something simple. In your workplace, instead of walking in to complain about all that's happening, walk in and encourage someone. Be kind to someone. Dream up random acts of kindness in your neighbourhood, in your street. Think about ways that you can just go out of your way to be a blessing to others in need. Cook a casserole for somebody who's doing it tough. Find ways of going out of your way to bless someone. You can't change the world for everyone, but you can change the world for someone. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Because Jesus says, everyone lost, hurting, person in pain is valuable to me. Just do it for one. Together as a church, we might shine a bright light on the goodness and grace of Jesus. Question five, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Here's your options. No, I'd rather be ignorant of the evidence. B, no, I'm worried I might be the example. C, not really, but I don't think I have a choice. D, just to encourage me, can everyone say, yes, please? Yes, please. Awesome. Six of you want the rest of the sermon. That's he finishes, James finishes with two examples of faith and deeds working together that they'd heard many times before. And question six was, was actually a really easy one for them to answer. He says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous by what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? 
Let me just read James's answer. He, he says, you see that his faith and actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Who wants to be God's friend? Another six, awesome. Come on, who wants to be God's friend? Yeah, he says, this is how it happens. Put faith and actions together, you become God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? The answer is an obvious, say it with me. Yes, Yes, he was. They knew it. They knew the story, and it's a horrific story. I can't go into all the details, but they knew the story of Abraham going to worship and and believing that he was to offer a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice to God, you know, for the sins, you know, of, of his family. And when he heard God say, I want you to offer Isaac, he put his faith into action, and he did it as horrific as it sounds. But just at the last minute, God said, stop. And he provided a substitute for his son Isaac. There was, a, there was a, a ram caught in the thickets and he sacrificed the ram and the blood of the lamb was actually worshipped to God instead of the blood of his son. Because of his faith and action, he became a friend of God. He was considered righteous. And it was simply a picture of what Jesus would do for every one of us one day. That Jesus would be our substitute. The substitutionary atonement of Jesus' blood on the cross, washing away our sins. When we put our faith in what Jesus has done for for the cross, we become righteous. We become a friend of God. We have the privilege of walking hand in hand with the living God of the universe and putting our faith into action and seeing the ways of Jesus spread throughout this world. The next question was a little more difficult. Question seven, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? These are your options. A, definitely not. She was a prostitute. B, she scraped into heaven with smoke on her clothes. She just escaped the fires of hell. C, I think the answer is yes, but it seems very gracious of God. Or D, yes. Come on, say it with me. What's the answer? Yes, and it was very gracious of God. Rahab had not lived a good moral life. But, but when strangers in need came into her community, she risked it all, trusting that God was gracious, God was kind, and she risked it all to take those people in need into her home and give them refuge. And because her compassion in her heart led to action, she was considered righteous. Not only that, she got in the hall of fame. Hebrews chapter 11. She's in the hall of fame of faith. Why? Because she risked it all to help people in need in her community. This matters to God. So the big question for us, question number eight, what sort of faith do you want to be known by? These are our options. 
from the book of James, faith like demons that believes in God but lives in fear and does nothing to help those in need. Faith like Abraham that believes in God, gives it all to God and becomes a friend of God. Faith like Rahab that believes in God, receives the grace of God and gives it all to help God's people in need. Or D, all of the above except for A. Who's going for D? See, we receive salvation by grace, by faith in Christ. But what flows out is loving actions to transform our world. James finishes this part by saying the the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. He's saying living faith, it's much more than just a passive or a private transaction that happened somewhere in your past, however long ago that happened. Living faith is an active consecration, a daily consecration to come before God, to hold nothing back from God and nothing back from people in need. So last question, question number nine. What are we going to do when we see someone is without food and clothing in our community? We can stay on the couch and complain about the government and all that they should be doing differently. We can wish them well and hope they find a feed. We can fill our heart with good intentions and sit on the couch and say, poor people. Or D, we can fill a red bag with food and we can generously give it to people in need. Church, what are we gonna go for? D, this is not the only way that we put our faith into action but this is an important way. I hate that we miss Thanksgiving Day today. That's one of my favourite days of the year. Has been four years, nearly two decades. But I'm absolutely confident that as a church, we're going to respond with a generosity. And these empty red bags that are out the front here this morning are going to come back on the 10th of October full of food, full of household goods, And we're going to bless this community. We are going to let our light shine before others. That they would see our good deeds. And praise our Father in heaven. It's time to, the church, to get off the couch. This is our time to shine. This is our time to shine a bright light on Jesus when the world is at its darkest. It's the greatest opportunity for the church to shine. I know that when we sit on our lounge, we can see a lot of problems in our world and we can just keep changing the channel and we can keep complaining or we can keep changing the channel until there's something that not quite so sad and confronting. Or we can actually get up and turn our compassion into action. We've got a really simple way here today. We can do that to bless those in need in our community. And I know as we look around the world, the problem seems so much bigger. And it's hard to know what to do. I found myself praying for Afghanistan this week 
and just saying over and over again, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And I don't think this is a cop-out. But, but I think sometimes turning our compassion into action is, it can actually be getting off our lounge and onto our knees and saying, Lord, have mercy. Show me what to do for one. Show me what to do. Prayer is not passive. Prayer is an active way of expressing our faith. So we cry out for mercy together and we say, God, show me what to do in this season. As we respond to what God is doing this morning, I want to encourage you. I was hoping that today we'd be bringing these full bags down the front to bless our community. But today we're going to do something different. Normally we walk down the front to receive prayer. I just want us to come down the front, pick up one of these empty bags that you're going to take home and fill it, bring it back on 10th of October. But I want you to do a little bit more than that. I actually want us to get up off our sunny, comfortable pews and walk down the front and pray for our community and pray for our world. Just make this a place of intercession this morning. If you're online with us, just actually literally get up out of your lazy boy. Find a place to get on your knees and to pray. I just believe this is a time for the church to, to respond in prayer, in compassionate prayer and in loving action. I don't know who you want to pray for down the front. It might be for what's going on in Afghanistan. It might be the oppression in Myanmar. It might be people, you know, without food and clothes from earthquakes in Haiti. It might be for people in need in your own street. I don't, I don't know. It doesn't matter. But whatever is stirring in your heart, do something active this morning and actually walk down the front, grab one of these red bags and just stay here for a moment and begin to pray. Begin to intercede. Begin to pray that the church would shine a bright light in our community and around the world. Come on, let's stand to our feet this morning. God, by your Holy Spirit, stir in our hearts. God, would you show us how to shine a bright light on Jesus in the midst of this darkness so that others may see our good deeds and be drawn to you, Father God. Praise you, Father God. Give you glory, God. Show us how to act this morning, to move compassion into action. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, come on, just come. Just come right now. Team's just going to play for a while. Grab a red bag. Just find a spot down here somewhere and just pray. You might want to join with some people you know and pray together. You might want to pray on your own, but stay here for 20 seconds. Stay here for five minutes. It doesn't matter. But come on, let's pray together as a church.
you'll do again Cause there's no prison wall you can't break through No mountain you can't move All things are possible There's no broken body you can't raise No soul that you can't save all things are possible The darkest night You can light it up You can light it up Oh God of revival Let hope arise Death is overcome You've already continues to sing, just begin to cry out to God. And God is a God of power. He can shine a bright light into this darkness. Come on, let's pray together. You rose in victory.
you believe this morning that in the darkest night, the light of Jesus can bring transformation in our community and around the world today? We believe that this morning. You know what it takes? It takes ordinary people like you and me, empowered by the Holy Spirit, walking into our businesses and showing kindness, being an encourager, helping people to see what Jesus like in our neighbourhoods, getting up out of our lounge, walking across the street to care for the person in need, being the person that actually walks into the room wherever we go, into our schools, into our universities, into our workplaces. The person that's actually bringing the three things that will last forever, faith, hope, and love of Jesus Christ. They're the three things that remain when everything else is stripped away. Ordinary people like you and me saying that's what matters. Faith, hope, and love of Jesus. God, today, by Your Holy Spirit, would You fill us with power that we might be the people that hold on to the faith in darkness, that bring hope into hopeless situations and love so extravagantly that people will turn to You and say there must be a God. God, would you fill us with your power to be your light in our community and in our world. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, faith really doesn't happen sitting on these semi-comfortable pews or in our really comfy lazy boys at home. Faith happens out there. That's where, that's where the rubber hits the road. This week, go be the light of Jesus. Give faith, bring hope, give extravagant love. Be blessed. I love you, church. I so much love being part of this church. I'm so looking forward to October 10, bringing those red bags back, blessing our community. Be blessed. See you next Sunday. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.